Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the final webinar of the year. We're going to talk about out-of-state accidents, uh, choice of law, and harmonizing subrogation statutes. Hello, everyone. There I am, a little off-center, but uh, as usual, this is live question and answer, so if you have any questions, feel free to post them in the GoToWebinar window, and we'll get to them at the end. So we'll talk about subrogation generally first. So subrogation is used as a term of art for multiple rights, um, usually third-party issues from workers' comp claims. We talk about lien reimbursement, future credit and offset, and subrogation, which is suing in the shoes of the claimant or petitioner. Our, our operative statute in New York is Section 29. In New Jersey, it's Section 40. And both statutes are going to give us similar rights, the three I just talked about subrogation, suing in the shoes of the claimant, lien reimbursement, future credit and offset rights, that's the right to offset future benefits. Uh, but the question we're going to address here is what happens when your claims cross jurisdictions, which happens quite often. So we'll go into the New York standard first, which I like because it's very cut and dry, thanks to the second department decision from 1997, Carmenucci versus PepsiCo. Uh, reimbursement rights in a third-party case arise from the law of the state in which benefits were paid. Um, you can see Carmenucci being applied in a number of different decisions. Well, actually, this one predates Carmenucci, but um, you can see New York applying out-of-state subrogation statutes in the decisions leading up to Carmenucci, Canfield versus Child World, uh, and Matter of O'Connor. Uh, that same standard applies to federal courts in New York exercising diversity jurisdiction. That's from Boyle versus Texas Gulf Aviation. Uh, I'm going to talk about diversity jurisdiction in a little bit and why it matters for your cases. So applying the New York standard in context. So if benefits are paid in New Jersey, the Section 40 calculation applies to the third-party action in New York. Benefits paid in Connecticut, consider intervening under Section 31293. Uh, a note on that, intervention is actually not formally required anymore. They seem to have uh, addressed that in a number of decisions in Connecticut, but the larger the lien, the more intervention makes sense, and it's always better to play it safe. Uh, there is an interplay here with New York's no-fault law and the Section 291A carve-out. That's the 50K paid in lieu of first-party benefits. We have numerous webinars on that, and I'm always happy to discuss it. Um, then we have New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Co. versus Steckert. It's the first department decision from 1999. It said the $50,000 carve-out applied to New Jersey benefits for a New York motor vehicle accident, and that's important for a reason I'm going to get to in a minute. The inverse is not true, McHenry versus State Insurance Fund. What do I mean by that? Uh, if an accident happens outside the state of New York, there is no 50K carve out, there is no 50K paid in lieu of first party benefits because the statute by its very language applies to accidents arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. So looking at the New York standard in context still, McHenry's enforced in subsequent decisions, uh, Bennett versus State Farm Fire and Casualty Co., O'Forey versus Green. O'Forey versus Green actually um, addresses New Jersey specifically. Uh, there's a discrepancy here with Nationwide Insurance Co. versus Marigarado. It's a third, third department decision from 1995, which says that out-of-state accidents uh, can involve covered persons. Covered persons is defined in Insurance Law 5102. Uh, if coverage is in excess of the New York vehicle and traffic law requirement. But then we have this case, Wensley versus Scott from the Western District of Pennsylvania, which says that the insurance law 5104 bar does not apply outside of New York. That bar is the one that doesn't allow you to sue for the first 50,000 paid in lieu of first party benefits. 
so loss transfer, intercompany loss transfer, where we can get back that first 50K in arbitration, is not available for an accident happening outside the state of New York. But loss transfer is potentially available for a New York accident, even if benefits are paid pursuant to another state's law. So you can have a New Jersey workers' comp claim and a New York um, loss transfer claim, provided the accident happened in the state of New York. The New Jersey standard is slightly messier. Um, so we're going to start with Wilson versus Fall, New Jersey uh, case from 1958 from the Supreme Court. They're going to recognize the sister state's law unless it's contrary to New Jersey public policy. Uh, and I have this quote here, the form has almost invariably applied the law of the state in which the employer has provided compensation insurance. A mere difference in law is not contrary to public policy. Stacy versus Greenberg, the principles of comity require application of foreign statute uh, unless contrary to public policy. Uh, contact with New Jersey was purely casual in that case. Prevatera versus Hillcrest Homes Incorporated addresses section 29.2 from New York uh, in context in New Jersey. Uh, it said that the claimant cannot take advantage of the portion he likes and disregard those portions of which he disapproves. So section 29.2 was applied in a New Jersey third party action. Uh, and Prevatera was cited with approval in Liberty Mutual Insurance Co versus Bursari Tank Corp, which is a second circuit a federal case from 1957. So the New Jersey standard continued don't worry, we're going to get to the bottom line of New Jersey. Breslin versus Liberty Mutual Insurance Co. Uh, whether traditional or modern choice of law test is applied, New York law ended up governing. This was affirmed in 1976. We have another case here. Uh, Wilson foreshadowed contemporary greatest interest choice of law doctrine. New Jersey will not undermine another state's workers' comp statute unless New Jersey has strong countervailing interest. Uh, but that same case says reallocation of the burden of paying compensation is at best an ancillary function of the workers' comp statute. And then finally, we're going to get to the case that sort of sorts this all out, Johnson versus State, uh, which applies a flexible governmental interest standard that requires deciding whether first there's an actual conflict, the interest each state has in resolving the specific issue, uh, and then the court compares the interests. And whether a double recovery will result is an important factor in evaluating that governmental interest. So Johnson versus State eventually comes back after remand and comes back to appellate division in 2011. Uh, the rationale for New Jersey's subrogation policy is to prevent employees from obtaining a double recovery. They cite to Frazier versus NJM. For anyone who's unaware, Frazier versus NJM is a seminal case in New Jersey on Section 40 rights. And it's the one that basically broadly authorizes, authorizes us to go after legal malpractice, medical malpractice, uninsured motorist benefits, underinsured motorist benefits. Uh, it's a pretty liberal case in terms of rights for the carrier. So I recommend checking that one out. But uh, it applies even when the employee makes a recovery against a third party other than the tort feeser. Uh, a double recovery occurs when the employee keeps any workers' comp benefits uh, that have been matched by third-party recovery. Uh, the double recovery is to be prevented is payment for, from two different sources for the same injury. And the double recovery rule applies whether or not the employee is fully compensated. So there is no made whole doctrine in New Jersey thanks to the Frazier case. So final note on the New Jersey standard to sort of bring this all together. So per Stacey and Prevatera, fundamental fairness as well as the need for certainty of result commits our courts 
to look to the laws of the state pursuant to which the benefits were paid, sounds very similar to the language from Carmenucci in New York, to determine the questions uh, affecting the essential rights of employers, co-employees, as well as insurance carriers. So uh, to harmonize Breslin and Wilson standards, Breslin says to look to the law of the state under which benefits were paid. Wilson says to look to the law of the state under which the employer who is being sued is insured. The bottom line, if the foreign workers comp statute prevents double recovery and doesn't conflict with New Jersey public policy, the New Jersey court is probably going to apply it. So it's a very long and uh, legal way of getting to the same answer we have in New York, which is uh, provided it's not contrary to public policy, the law of the state in which benefits are paid is going to apply. So I just wanted to mention a word on federal third party actions here. So a case ends up in federal court if there's diversity jurisdiction or there's a federal question. Diversity jurisdiction requires that the parties be from different states or you know, international parties. Complete diversity of citizenship, no one plaintiff can be from the same state as any one defendant. Uh, and the amount in controversy has to be over $75,000. Or a federal question, which basically means a suit um, pursuant to a federal right, you know, a, a statute that grants litigation under federal law. So um, where you can find these federal third-party actions is in public access to court electronic records, aka PACER. Where you're going to start looking on PACER, high exposure cases with defendants from different states or a federal act involved. And I'm going to get into what kind of federal acts we're talking about. Um, suits against employer for civil rights, and federal administrative payments that are a substitute for tort recovery, example, Military Claims Act, are both subject to lien rights. Um, other than federally administered programs, the Longshore and Harbor Workers' Compensation Act, Federal Employees' Compensation Act, uh, things of those nature, there is no uh, federal workers' compensation law. So the federal rules of civil procedure are going to apply to a federal third-party action, but the state subrogation statute uh, will control with regard to the carrier's rights. Uh, a little note here, state comp exclusivity does not protect an employer from a federal claim against them. For example, civil rights laws uh, due to the supremacy clause of the constitution. So when you have a federal third party action and you have a uh, subrogation attorney you like to work with in your particular state, if they're not licensed to practice in that federal court, they can always seek admission pro hoc viche for that case specifically. Uh, and again, you know, if you're in federal court, chances are the exposure is pretty high. Um, multiple defendants from different states and an amount in co controversy over 75,000. So consider intervention because the federal cases can sort of get out of hand really quickly. Other jurisdictional issues. Um, consider New Jersey's bar on section 40 rights on Title 59 claims against public entities. So Title 59 applies to public entities in New Jersey by its express language. It's the same thing with the verbal th threshold in New Jersey motor vehicle accident cases. The statute references specifically accidents in New Jersey. So Title 59 would not bar a Section 40F subrogation action against a New York governmental entity. Uh, Feely versus Port of New York Authority, Law Division case from 1958. Yes, to Section 40F subrogation rights against the Port Authority. Why? The Port Authority is a shared governmental entity of New York and New Jersey, so it doesn't matter that the Port Authority body or um, office in this case was in New Jersey and it was a governmental entity. It was actually the Port Authority is a shared creature between New York and New Jersey, uh, so not subject to Title 59. And you can see this in this Wood case 
The Port Authority is not a public entity under Title 59. It is a shared entity, so this points to our lien rights as well, not just subrogation under Section 40F. We would have a lien reimbursement right in a suit against the Port Authority in a third-party action. But in New York for 50K carve-out or loss transfer cases, it must actually be used as a motor vehicle driving around exclusively on the tarmac uh, at New York at a New York airport will not count. And that comes from the requirement for intercompany loss transfer that the accident occur on the highways of the state of New York. So even if you have a New York motor vehicle accident, if it's just driving back luggage back and forth on the tarmac, it's not gonna qualify for loss transfer. A final note on multi-jurisdictional issues. So remember, the law is what applies when the parties cannot agree otherwise. You can contract to anything that's not illegal. Uh, many third-party attorneys are not well-versed in the choice of law doctrine, so I would urge you to consider which state's subrogation statute is more beneficial and favorable to you, and contact third-party counsel just to stipulate to it. Uh, even though New Jersey does not require written consent, especially in these multi-jurisdictional cases, I would urge you to reduce everything to writing. Uh, consider the impact on the workers' compensation claim, however. There's a potential admission of compensability in a jurisdiction where you might be raising jurisdictional defenses. So I just recommend using this little blurb when you put that writing that I just mentioned. Nothing contained herein is to be construed as admission of liability for the payment of workers' compensation benefits in either New York or New Jersey. Substitute your state here if you're not in one of those two. Where applicable, the carrier continues to raise and maintain all defenses, denials, and issues of controversy to compensability. Nice little blurb there for you to use if you have a multi-jurisdictional consent letter for a third-party settlement. So let's see if we have any questions here. I know we got through that very, very quickly. No, I do not see any questions at the moment, but as always, you can feel free to email me, cmajor at loslllc.com. Uh, and before we sign out, I want to wish everyone a happy holidays. Thank you to all of you who have tuned into these webinars all year. Uh, and I wish you all a very safe new year, and I will see you in January. Thanks again.